this guy's really good. Asherlaw began playing classical violin at the tender age of two and had performed with the Buffalo Philharmonic by age 13. Asherlaw. It's lawnmower day today, <laughs> apparently. I'm in an apartment. Uh, yeah, and it's a oh, writing, okay. Yeah, so oh, I've done this before and I, and I edited it out, but it's usually pretty comical when you're in the middle of a sentence All and right. just uh, comes by. And yes, you can get these lawnmowers at Home Depot where doers get things done. Now get out there and mow your lawn. You know, I'm looking forward to um, the battery powered, powered Tesla mowers. But if it said Tesla on it, you know it's good. Huh? You know it's good. You're yeah. just hanging an arm and a leg for it. Okay, I'm going to get really serious here. No, I'm not. <clears throat> when I went to college, <laughs> I, I had like years of garage band and improv kind of stuff. And I really wasn't that good at reading music. This is on guitar. Trumpet it was okay. Guitar, mm -hmm. I, guitar I learned mm -hmm. like a street musician, basically. And I still adhere to mm -hmm. that. When I got to college, the violin players only could read music. There wasn't guitar for orchestra. There wasn't guitar for symphonic band. And violin was just an orchestral instrument, pretty much. In those days, this is 35 mm -hmm. years ago. And nobody could improvise. Mm -hmm. and, and now I see you just killing this thing. What, what, what point did you oh, go? You. This orchestra stuff is real fun and everything, but let's rock it. Uh, I'm going to say high school. Uh, what I remember pretty clearly is... Um, just feeling like I needed to get out of this shell, which was the many orchestras and competitions that I was in since uh, I was a little baby. And uh, I, I sort of got tired of the, the lack of um, creativity because you're, you're essentially reading and it's like a comp it's like all these competitions, but who can read the best, it's like yeah. who can read the book the best. I mean, obviously there's tremendous skill and like in, and playing concertos, but um, I felt like there's an entire other dimension that the, uh, the band, the band members, um, in this thousand person school called Williams least high school, uh, were able to, you know, embark upon this, this journey of creativity and improvisation. And I wasn't just cause I was a violinist. So, you know, I, I, I hooked up to, to an amplifier and had a pretty cruddy tone, but I got to jam out with the jazz band and it was from there it was launched. It was like launch season for me. I, I, I really, uh, I loved it. And I, I started uh, playing with just different groups and uh, friends of mine play, played guitar pretty well. And once I got to college, uh, I pretty much, 
I started, I, I hit the ground running um, with some, uh, just uh, the club date scene, the, um, you know, weddings, corporate events, started doing concerts within like three years in New York City, uh, where I started college. And uh, I mean, I could talk your ear off for an hour about it, but... That's why I have you, yeah. That's your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, well... journey it was like okay it's almost like i went to college to get other degrees just to like sort of have a stable backup option with the ultimate intention of being a musician because like you're in the big apple and that's where all that's where pretty much that and three other places in the united states are just uh where you want to get started so i thought hey this is, a, this is like the perfect opportunity to get started in showbiz and uh, see where see where this takes me so i guess you could blame it on my move to new york city where did you move from uh upstate buffalo new york Small town, you know, Williamsville suburb of that. That's close to Canada. Big state. You know, New York's huge. So had nothing to do with New York City. I was bright eyed, bushy tailed when I got to the city. I'm like, wow, okay, I gotta start I gotta start playing gigs like immediately. I think it was day one. Like instead of showing up to um like the class, um pretty much my I, it might have been my first class that I skipped. I just went to a gig in midtown. <laughs> one of my friends put me on a gig and pay me a couple bucks. And then I started, started like, I did a couple of volunteer gigs, some, some high end events. And from there, you know, I just started getting paid. So have you found this in the music industry? <clears throat> Talent seems to be down the list from requirements of what it takes to make a living in the music world. Yeah. You have to be yeah. good. I mean, don't get me wrong, but 
Well, you have to you have to be able to handle a whole lot of other things, uh, and then they throw the social media in the past so many years and whatnot. It's it's complicated. Sometimes you just sit down. This is me anyway, and I go, "All I wanted to do is play a song." Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I uh, one of the one, I have three degrees. Uh, none of them are in business, but maybe uh, it might have helped if I did because. It, to be an independent musician, and frankly, to be signed to a label, you got you have to have a, have a good business acumen, like head on your shoulders, uh, mm. an understanding of, of of how to like, you know, get involved with bookings and 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 deal with contracts and, and figuring out how to not get screwed by people who want to, you know, pretty much use you. I mean, I've worked with so many booking agents over the years. I'm going to say a little under 2,000 events since 2001. So many, many booking agents. And, um, I mean, thank God all, all of them have been pretty, pretty decent, but you know, I, I, I could have made quite a bit more money if I really had a better sense of, uh, you know, how much I was worth and that kind of stuff. So, um, to address what you mentioned and the lawnmower, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um, you can't just be a musician. You gotta, um, to your listeners or any like, aspiring musicians out there you, you it, it's a full-time job it is not like you know oh well you know you you went to juilliard it's not enough most most juilliard graduates don't don't make it um from what i've i just chatted with the juilliard graduate last actually last night on the way to baltimore uh, event and he he does all those broadway shows and goes on tour with some major acts and he's like yeah it's it's a hell of a hell of a journey and and uh, it's a rude awakening for people that graduate uh from the top universities and don't get a place in the new york philharmonic <laughs> i'm gonna edit that last sentence because it was all lawnmower <laughs> and don't get a placement in the new york philharmonic that way i just said it again yeah wider God, I was thinking back to the last interview that I had where this lawnmower was going. The guy was a punk rocker, so it, it fit the, the the idiom much better than a violin player with a oh, lawnmower. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> true. Uh, I'm all about all taste. Well, I play noisy violin. You know, I play the electric. So I know. I, I play it. on loud stages. <laughs> <laughs> I love it too, and you got a little choreography going in there too. I think violin's a good instrument for that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> And, I do, yep. And it's unexplored. I think everybody in the planet is a guitar band uh, or a guitar singer-songwriter guy or something like I am. You're familiar with Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what, what are the few Dust in the wind? Yeah, what are the few rock bands that has a violin player? In the guy sings too. He just died, I think, recently. But anyway, yeah, it was it was kind of uh-huh. new ground when I went to see them. They opened for Queen, and I thought, oh, Kansas with a violin player, this can't be any good. They almost killed Queen. Are you are you in uh, in the city in New York City or, or a different city? Am I no? I'm in Seattle. That I, I have not been to Seattle. Well, you mentioned the three main cities of music. One of them is not Seattle. They uh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's Nashville, LA, you know, California, yeah, yeah, yeah. And New York, yeah. and I find myself in California for many years, and and Florida and New York mostly, Texas.
You have played Madison Square Garden, Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center. What's it like when you go in there? You got it in the back of your head thinking some of the best of the best have played here, and here I am, you know? What's that like? Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, it definitely strokes the ego, uh, and I'm not like an egomaniac. I, I don't like to, I like to stay grounded because um, I, I am just not like a pop star. I'm like a regular guy who's had some major opportunities, um, and I've been fortunate enough to. So I just I'm grateful for all these like, you know, amazing experiences uh, like Madison Square Garden and, and Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall. Um, I, I I I'm I'm so I'm so used to performing on stage. It's not like I don't get I get particularly nervous. Um, I, I'm going to have to say Madison Square Garden was a little bit overwhelming when I walked onto stage and just the sheer size of the stage and yeah. the number of people out there and how I really had like a short period of time to leave a, a you know a good impression. Um, but that that nervous feeling didn't really come until like I was like two seconds before I was going on stage. I'm like, oh my god, it hit me. Like wow, this is this is big. Um, whereas like when I was backstage, it was like I can't wait to get out there, kind of thing. Yeah, that's crazy. Everybody does it differently. I think. I guess we wouldn't do it. Didn't have that excitement element to it, like mountain climbing or something. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah, the the, the highs are definitely um, uh, they're they're a bit addictive. Uh, you know, this is a whole nother whole nother show, but tangible property seems to mean more and you can give away things as gifts I'm, I'm i'm all for vinyl or super vinyl something even better but i like the jacket and the artwork and the credits that you, you can read and you know about the band and the artwork kind of identifies the sound of what's on the album kind of you know that's lost and it drives me crazy <laughs> i'm kind of an old guy yeah. it was a big thing back in my day you'd an album and you call your friends up and you come over and everybody listen to it it's a a solitaire society now everybody's got headphones on and they've got their own thing going on jump in anytime no, I, I can completely relate it's a love-hate relationship uh i and many people many of my you know musician peer counterparts uh feel about the transition to, to royalties and streaming i, I have I got big beef with the, the streaming platforms. yeah um, maybe because i'm not like where drake is but i feel like um I, I I feel like uh, it's kind of good. Merch is still being purchased. It's a good way to support the artists and see, still be, and vinyl is still being purchased too. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens in the future. I don't know. I, my crystal ball is as good as anybody else's, but I'll guarantee you some of the greatest minds, marketing minds in the world are on this because it's just waiting there. Nobody's making any money but streaming platforms, I think. Uh, major labels now because they own forty percent of the um, of the Spotify. Yeah, of Spotify, and I, I intend to bring up this topic at every interview I could possibly do because I feel that people need to understand what Spotify is. It is not for the independent artists; it is essentially for the major labels. They purchased a forty percent stake in Spotify. So they essentially run that platform uh, at the expense of independent artists who they're the only game in town. So like when the festivals are looking to book acts, they're, they're booking acts that are associated with the major labels because they have the Topsify playlists and the other playlists that automatically like benefit the musicians uh, and work with the algorithm, which is set to help guys like Drake 
who are assigned to those major labels, put money in the pockets of the major labels, uh, and they, they drive fans as a result away from, from the more independent artists. Um, so I don't know if I'm being, I don't know if I'm clearly relaying the issue here. When you have, when you have three major labels all teaming together to own the largest platform on the planet, streaming platform on the planet, it, it is, it is tipping the, the scales to the benefit of the major label artists. It doesn't even necessarily benefit all, all the artists. It benefits the major labels. So it's not, the, you know, it's not really a streaming platform for the people. It's a streaming platform for the major labels. That's how I, that's how I see it, and that's how many of my music, musician friends see it. And I'm sorry I sound so cynical, but um, you know, you just can't have 40% stake owned and then and then have that be the only major platform, like the main game. Um, for musicians. So you're saying it's not an even field. What I was saying is that Spotify um, try, has tried to change the algorithm so that it's like an equal playing field. And every time they do, because it would be at the expense of the, of the major artists like Drake, I keep bringing him up because he's the number one most streamed artist on the planet, and it drives me insane. <laughs> um, the, they threaten to pull their catalog. So their catalogs, the, the major labels threaten to pull their, their catalogs. And, and I know this because I've, I've spoken with actual Spotify employees um, and like I'm straight from the horse's mouth. So I don't know if that's the phrase, but. <laughs> yeah, it's an oldie yeah. but a goodie. So rephrase that. I'm not sure if I understand. Uh, the major record labels are giving them ultimatums. Yeah, correct. You know how the uh, there was a period where during the COVID situation, um, th there, was, there was all this national news about about some major artists pulling their pulling their catalog and going to Apple and removing it off of Spotify. It happened like a few months ago. Okay, so I was like, this is the first I ever heard of it. But but this is like a tactic that's used by the major labels pretty frequently and essentially um, essentially uh, when you're own 40% stake uh, by these guys, you can't really do what you want to do. You can't, you can't adjust your algorithm if you're being controlled by these people because they, you know, they want the game to be won by them. They want to reap in the profits. So what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, again, this this came from this wasn't from a friend of mine. Well, this is from a friend of mine, but this information came from in, from an, a couple employees I know, but one in particular who was way up in the dealing with the playlists and 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 somebody who who was pretty high up in the ranks and actually owns two radio stations and then moved to Pandora because he got so frustrated with Spotify. Mm, that's interesting. So. Yeah. Golly. And he was like, there's no way to like make this algorithm really like really um, support just independent artists and, and provide like the best type of music to um, to listeners. I don't mean, I'm sorry, I'm belaboring the point. I just want to make sure that you fully understand what I'm, yeah. what I'm trying to convey. Yeah. It's, huge, it's a huge problem. Yep. Okay. I'm not alone on that. I know I'm not, but it yeah. was good to, to hear. I mean, there's more to it. Yeah. yeah. That's another conversation. Yep. We'll do one yeah. one more question and then I'll let you go. Yeah. But uh, sure. 
advice to young up and coming players, especially on string instruments? Say you're a, a student and you're deciding that you're young, you're in fifth grade or whatever age we are when we start oh, playing. Okay. Yeah, and you, you're trying to figure out what instrument to play. Regarding violin, what would you say about that in today's world? Well, uh, first of all, make sure, before I say anything else, I, I would say proper positioning is really important because I've had lifelong struggles with my back uh, directly related to the violin. So oh. um, I, th I, think, I think building up your back muscles is one of the smartest things you can do at a young age um, so that you don't uh, develop like curvature issues or chronic hyperextension in your arm. Um, or your, or your shoulder. Uh, so that's really important if you're looking for like a lifelong career or even just to play violin frequently. Uh, but also, uh, you know, I, I think there's a major benefit to, to, to practicing and learning and growing on that instrument in the context of music that you enjoy, as opposed to just, uh, you know, practicing etudes uh, 24 seven, which, which is what I and like a lot of my peers uh, did at a young age. Um, it can be pretty stressful and frustrating. So, so the way to the way to sort of enjoy the experience, and I hadn't really enjoyed it until high school, uh, is to, you know, do what you enjoy that relates to the instrument. You know, kids always want to play drums, guitar. That's like the first thing that comes to mind typically, because it's like. Because the music that's associated with those instruments is often popular music that people can relate to. Yeah. Uh, whereas the violin is often associated with sort of outdated, like Baroque type stuff, which is what's taught like in traditional type Suzuki methods. Um, so that's what I would recommend is, you know, you could play you could play popular music on the violin, on the cello, on the viola. Yeah, and you're doing. You don't have to just do etudes. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool. It, it, you know, it kind of caught me off guard. Your uh, answer about posturing is so important with everything in life because gravity beats the crap out of you after a while and you turn into the hunchback of Notre Dame. But yeah, if you're playing a yeah. lot of hours, <laughs> you've got you to be doing it right or you're going to wear yourself out. That's good advice. Yeah, you know, like uh, David Garrett, he, he was out of commission for a good year uh, due to physical health issues and... Um, you know, that, that, again, that was his career. He, he travels the world um, as a violinist virtuoso. And so I don't know if he was taught that by taught, taught proper, proper muscle strengthening exercises by his teachers. Maybe he was. Yeah, well, you're playing thousands of hours, too. Not a lot of people do that. So probably not a big worry. But yeah. 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 In your case. Well, you're sounding great. I wish you the best in the future. Thanks, Bruce. Great chatting with you. podcast radio show with Bruce Hilliard. We'll be back with a new horizon, but until then, honor the future. It comes with a lifetime guarantee.
we're all just trying to make the next day a bit better.